This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. And welcome back to Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host, Rahid Jensen, and thank you for joining us in today's episode. Today's episode is part four of our series dedicated to parents and family members of individuals who experience same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria. And joining me again in this series is my dear friend, Adam. Salam alaikum, Adam. Alaikum salam. How are you? Alhamdulillah. How are you? I'm good. Alhamdulillah. Excited for the episode. I am excited as well. And this is actually the last episode in the series and the last episode that you'll be joining me on I know. Um, in this entire podcast. SubhanAllah, you've been uh, with me ever since the beginning and you've joined me a couple of episodes in season one, season two, um, season four and now in season five yeah. so you've been a regular guest on the podcast jazakallah khair and i'm so um honored to have been on this journey with you and for a lot of you listeners you might not you might not know this but actually like the whole podcast idea came from adam himself like you told me about this like over two years ago you pitched in the idea and i was a bit taken aback by it at the beginning but subhanallah we worked on it and yeah i'm just subhanallah very very grateful for all of this you know this this entire project and how far we've come so may allah reward you and may allah accept from all of us inshallah this will work for his sake ya I mean, and you know, subhanAllah, it's just like you always say when we talk about this, it's all from Allah and that, you know, um, uh, yeah, so none of this would be possible if it hadn't been for him. It's all been done at the right time. Exactly. And with the right people and all of the resources that have come together, subhanAllah, Indeed. in the way that they have. Indeed. And yeah, and obviously like the, all the work and effort that you've put in uh, to, to produce these episodes consistently over the last two years. May Allah reward you to and accept it. Um, and, exactly. you know, yeah, inshallah, we just hope that it benefits people, which is the whole point. Exactly. Inshallah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, may Allah bless this work and uh, bring through it a lot of healing and growth and, um, yeah, nearness to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what matters at the end, inshallah. Yeah. Yeah, so basically in the past couple of episodes, as you remember, the we started the sequence by talking about the um, the major foundation of this work, which is personal healing. We spoke about this in episode 79. And then in episode 80, we went into the foundations and concepts for us to understand um, how SSA uh, and gender dysphoria come about, what dynamics uh, contribute to them. Um, we talked about, you know, young children. We talked about adolescents. 
uh, dealing with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. And in the previous episode, we spoke about practical tips and like real-life situations and things that we can do as fathers, mothers, siblings, friends, family members. And in today's episode, inshallah, we're going to wrap up this series by talking about community healing, and we're going to be answering frequently asked questions um, by parents and family members and the community at large, inshallah. So let's get started, inshallah. So um, in this first part of the episode, we're going to be talking about community healing. So we've spoken about personal healing, we've spoken about relational healing, and the third part um, of healing constitutes uh, community healing, as Richard Cohen in his book, Gay Children, Straight Parents, tells us. Um, The idea is to create a welcoming environment at home, at our community, and our places of worship. Now, welcoming quote-unquote what do we mean by that it has to be practical within the limits of islam obviously we do not condone particular things that are uh, prohibited in our deen right same-sex sexual behaviors gender transitioning you know etc but um we have to create what we mean by welcoming environments is for us to create safe warm spaces within our homes and communities where we understand individuals who deal with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria where we offer them resources we offer them the appropriate support networks um you know access to uh for example um resources that they don't have access to you know the ability to understand what they are going through empathy compassion practical steps you know access to therapy counseling support groups um peer support groups you know activities and things that actually help them become more in touch with their own gender identity more accepting of their gender identity more in tune with their purpose that allah created them for and so on if we don't create these safe and warm and welcoming spaces um they are going to turn to the LGBT community as their quote-unquote safe haven, right? Mm-hmm. And we remember Richard Cohen's words, love is the ultimate weapon to win the hearts of SSA men and women who have felt for so long on the outside looking in. Now, what are some practical steps that we can go about community healing after we have done the work of personal healing and relational healing as well? Yeah, and some of these uh, include educating our communities, or, you know, the community that you live in, to the extent that's possible. You know, every every, every uh, part of the world is different, so we, we have to, you know, bear that in mind when we, when we say this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we say educate, we mean about the top about these issues about the, the this topic and offering relevant resources you know books podcasts articles we've talked about so many of those clearly the this podcast uh, itself is a resource but also all of the other references and the the works that have informed the content so you know so that we can correct the misconceptions and offer practical solutions uh, that help people uh, deal with this mm-hmm. uh, issue and you can find many of these within the previous uh, seasons of the podcast. So, for example, in season one, we talked about the psychological aspects. In season two, we covered spiritual aspects. Uh, season three, where we talked about support systems. In season four, we talked a lot about healing and the recovery work. And in season five, which is this season, we talked about the social, political, religious aspects. So there's there's lots of practical advice throughout all of the episodes, inshallah, and you know you can go through those and and share those with the people in your community. And there are so many of us who have relatives and friends that are dealing with 
you know, SSA or gender dysphoria, but very few are talking about it. This is happening everywhere in every in every masjid and every church temple around the world. And so uh, sharing this, inshallah, might, might help somebody who's otherwise suffering in silence. Right. Absolutely. And there's multiple aspects and branches in the community that we can reach out to. So, you know, our friends, our family, neighbors, schools, educational um, institutions that we might have, uh, offices and workplaces where it's appropriate to do this. Uh, masjids, Islamic centers, we need to branch out and communicate and educate and use the content of the podcast and all the other resources uh, to spread the information and knowledge far and wide. And this is an effort that has to be done collectively. This is not just for me to do or for Wahid to do. This is for everybody to do because it touches and affects everyone. Exactly. So yeah. it's it's something that we have to come together to, to help uh, deal with. And you'll learn more about other people in the community who are dealing with SSA or gender dysphoria, other parents and family members. So people might open up and you you know realize there's there's people like you or people uh, who are dealing with this issue. So we can work together collectively to help each other. And you know, in the context of you if you are someone who's having this challenge or, or your child is having this challenge, rather, once you understand the issues of your child, you can work practically to find a solution. So, for example, if a girl was ostracized by other girls, in the case of, you know, female SSA, allowing loving women to surround her with positive affirmations. And then if an opposite, if your son didn't fit in with other uh, boys or men even, you know, you can ask other men to invite him out or participate in his interests and so on you know so and, and if you remember we talked about the three t's so that's something that we can focus on as well uh, in, in this uh, context so time touch and talk spending time having appropriate physical touch and communicating talking mm-hmm. and again you don't have to be an expert about this matter when you talk about it with others just speak from the heart uh, with your support team about what you've learned and experienced and then about how they can help you and your child absolutely um, and again, you know, if you think about it, there are schools and colleges and religious institutions and pro-LGBT organizations that are embracing men and women who deal with same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria in a, in a gay affirmative and trans affirmative uh, way. It's about time that we as Muslims and members of religious communities around the world that we create our alternative organizations yep. to support our children with their struggles with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria or what have you while staying firm on our convictions and values, right? And um, inshallah, we'll discuss this more in the episodes to come because there are episodes dedicated to um, teachers and educators as well as imams and community leaders. So stay tuned for these episodes very soon. And um, yeah, and again, like we've spoken about this uh, in the past episodes that we need to have like same-sex peers to befriend our children who are struggling with these matters. Um, you know, the idea is that a lot of us grew up feeling inferior to members of our same sex. Uh, we kind of befriended members of the opposite sex. We dealt with shame and body image issues and, and so on. So we need to find healthy same-sex peers, healthy same-sex mentors. This, of course, takes time, energy, and wise planning. It takes patience and perseverance. It's not easy, but it's doable, inshallah, and it's very, very necessary. So we pray we ask for guidance and Allah will open the way. Yep. But we need to put in the effort, right? So 
we need to 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 branch out and ask right ask our local imams and community leaders for help for proper networks mm -hmm. we get together with other parents we ask for their help we ask for their children's help we we communicate with relatives with same-sex cousins uncles aunts extended family members etc right and again as we've said in the previous episode please screen for particular bad behaviors as well you know if there's any history of abuse among them um, you know, if there are any red flags and you can avoid those people, but generally, you know, reach out and see how they can help and how you as well can help them. If there are any resources or support groups within your area, please check them out. Uh, we have added links to resources and support groups available for parents and family members whose kids deal with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, so these could be relevant to you. Mm -hmm. um, and again, something to always expect is rejection. You can't expect that everything is going to be smooth. You have to expect rejection, turndowns, but the most important thing is never to give up because your child is worth the effort. And I always like to remember the story of Hajar, uh, may Allah be pleased with her, the wife of uh, Prophet Ibrahim السلام, when she went to Mecca and she had uh, Prophet Ismail as an infant with her and she was alone she was alone in a desert no other human being whatsoever except her child with her and she was going back and forth back and forth between Safa and Marwa she did not lose hope she had complete tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and subhanAllah like Allah allowed the miracle of the spring of Zamzam to exist um, so it's it's a matter of having to call on Allah, doing your part, and Allah will take care of it. Even if the chances seem to be slim to even non-existent, Allah will take care of things. This is what matters. Mm. Um, and again, we need to educate religious leaders on same-sex attractions and gender identity issues, our community leaders, the potential stakeholders. All of these need to be educated on these matters so you can actually help do that. And um, we'll be talking about this more in this episode to find mentors and to become mentors yourselves to help others and to help pay it forward. So all of this kind of puts everything in perspective with regards to community healing. Um, and this is part and parcel of, you know, our healing as a community um, moving forward together, inshallah, in these um, quite turbulent times moving forward, uh, asking for Allah's help and keeping Allah front and center. And Allah will take care of everything, inshallah. And now we'll start with looking at some frequently asked questions that, that we get from friends and family members. And the first question that we're going to cover is, why do we need a therapist and what should we look for in a therapist in reference to helping with, you know, your the child or loved one that they're trying to help? Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned in the last episode, try and work with a counsellor or therapist with whom you feel comfortable, who shares your goals for your child and can offer an objective evaluation. This professional should share your philosophy about gender and sexuality as well as your treatment goals, or at least respect your value system and help you with your goals. And they should offer objective evaluation and specific advice regarding your intervention efforts. Since parents naturally become emotionally enmeshed with their child, they will often find it difficult to stay with a particular program on their own. So finding the right counsellor or therapist is very important. A professional psychotherapist who shares your values and objectives will assist you, first of all, by providing further education, and then second, by correcting blind spots that you might have as individuals and as a parental team. 
the psychotherapist might observe, for example, that you're not communicating effectively with your child. He might see that your son never verbalizes his stresses and conflicts and only seems to be complying with what you're asking of him. He might point out how mother and father convey different, perhaps even contradicting and confusing messages about gender. Mm-hmm. To correct childhood gender confusion, a strong parental team is highly important. Your best assurance of change comes when there's a commitment by both parents. The fact is, with the commitment of only one parent, a positive outcome is unfortunately much less likely. And remember, there is no such thing as a neutral member of the parental team. The uninvolved parent is perceived by the child as implicitly giving permission to remain as is and as negating the message of the committed parent. Right. And one of the most important responsibilities of the therapist is to help parents express disapproval of cross-gender behavior without conveying disapproval of the child. The therapist helps parents learn to convey explicit expectations to the boy that his effeminate behavior is unacceptable and to gently but firmly discourage such behaviors. But at the same time, the boy must not experience his parents' expectations as a deeply personal criticism or rejection. And this is very, very important. Uh, Joseph Nicolosi says that what appears to be most effective is for the therapist to work on a regular basis with the parents and not the child. After a few weekly sessions, the therapist should usually see the parents only on an as-needed basis, so maybe every month, to coach and monitor the boy's progress or the girl's progress. Um, And usually it's necessary for the psychotherapist to see the child only for an initial assessment and then from time to time afterwards. And of course, this depends on the case, uh, etc. Absolutely. And here we're talking about a therapist who helps you as parents to um, deal with your child, right? Depending on their uh, age group, Mm -hmm. right? It depends if they're a child or an adolescent and that varies. Um, And, you know, there are different ways that they can help you. um, And you can explore that with your therapist, of course, uh, in an age appropriate manner. The the follow-up question would be, and I'm sure a lot of the parents listening would be like, okay, where do we find them nowadays, especially in the West, mm. right? It's very tricky. Um, you know, most, uh, most of the therapists are pro-LGBT. You know, that agenda is kind of dominating the scene, whether it's about gender identity, you know, just go and explore whatever gender you belong to or non-gender even, um, and your sexuality, you know, this is normal, just embrace it and so on. Um, and they tell you, okay, even if we were to consult a Muslim therapist, Therapist, you know, as 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 um, Mubin told us in a few episodes back, that it's it's quite uh, you know a devastating situation. It's literally a shit show, mm. especially like with Muslims, uh, with Muslim therapists. That a lot of them are very embracing of the LGBT paradigm, and people, you know, parents are like, "What are we gonna do?" Yeah. So really, in this situation, when you can't find a proper Muslim therapist to help you with this, then, you know, you can also consult um, a, a Christian or a Jewish therapist. You know, there's no problem with that as long or even a non-religious therapist, as long as these therapists are in line with your value system. They are able to respect your value system. As Adam said, mm-hmm. they share your philosophy about gender and sexuality and they can help you uh, achieve your goals that you want or, you know, 
whatever is in line with your dean, right? Your boundaries, those are important. Yeah. Um, again, if, if you can't find anyone, um, you know, within your vicinity, please reach out to us on Straight Struggle or reach out to Brother Ali Jafari on Strong Support. There are uh, support networks for parents whose children deal with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. Um, and check out the resources that we've added in these episodes. There are a lot of support networks around the world. Of course, they're much more difficult to find nowadays, given the, you know, the, the kind of pervasive agenda uh, that's taken the world by storm. But, you know, it's still there are still um, available resources, resources, inshallah. Yeah. And may Allah help us all. This is something that needs to be worked on even more, inshallah. So we hope that the Muslim communities would invest in training counselors and therapists who are well-versed in the deen, but who are also um, well-versed in the topics of same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria. This is of utmost importance nowadays, subhanAllah. Another question that we get is, and we've spoken about this before, uh, the, the idea of mentors, right? You know, it's very important to have mentors. What can the mentor do? What should, what should we look for? You know, give us practical tips on, you know, how to find mentors or what we should look for. You know, as we said, you know, one way to help your child who deals with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria is to find same-sex mentors for them. Hmm. Right. Um, if you're a single parent or if your spouse is unavailable or incapable of mentoring your child, then it's important to find men or women who will demonstrate healthy paternal or maternal love. You may want to ask uh, relatives, friends and people from your place of worship to assist you. And please surround your child with positive gender role models. Many people had to create a network of mentors because there are dads who are unable to rise to the child's needs, right? You may also want to kind of enlist the support of several mentors. Each one may contribute his particular strengths, such as mm -hmm. sports or spirituality. Another might give him or her warmth and healthy touch. Another one would go out, you know, with your kid, for example, fishing or teaching them car mechanics and like, you know, uh, manual uh, labor and so on. Mm -hmm. The more mentors that you can find with varying abilities, the better, of course. Always remember that those who do, did not experience successful attachment and love and intimacy with their father and or mother, they will seek to fulfill those unmet needs in other relationships or activities. Yeah. So mentoring is a means whereby one may restore the parent-child relationship. Bearing this in mind, there are three areas that, need, that will need to be addressed in the process of mentoring. Number one, to break down the walls of detachment, meaning that the mentor will need to be persistent and to win the uh, child's heart, whether that child is still a child or an adolescent or even an adult, right? The adult child, quote unquote, is kind of detached. Mm -hmm. There needs to be time and patience for the individual to reattach. And by reattachment, meaning to feel safe and secure with his or her own sex, as in to attach and to feel comfortable with members of their own sex. And in this case, we're talking about the same-sex mentor, right? The second point is to develop healthy patterns in same-sex relationships, meaning to learn to be a woman among women or a man among men, to feel that I'm comfortable mm -hmm. in my body with my same-sex peers, right? I'm in tune with others. I'm confident. I'm strong. I'm able to internalize the feelings of worthiness and capability, right to be able to address the 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 concepts of shame inferiority and so on and so forth and the third point would be to experience healthy touch and we've spoken about this so much again many men and women with same sex attractions or gender dysphoria are touch deprived 
So that needs to be addressed as well. Now, while being mentored, the individual who is being mentored, whether the child, adolescent or adult, typically we're talking about adolescents or adults in this case, they will go through stages. So usually the first stage is that of dependence, which is a natural healthy reliance on a parental figure. And in this case, they might be overly attached at the beginning. There's a lot of dependence and this is completely normal, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, you're looking at a child who needs to grow into his full adult self. So at the beginning, there's a lot of dependence. And then in the, they will move to the second stage, which is more of independence, which they will learn to stand on their own two feet. And then after that comes the stage of interdependence, which is knowing when to take control and take care of oneself and when they need the help of others. And then finally, they will grow into mutuality, which is giving back to their mentors, giving back to other people, mm. and they can mentor others. This is, this is kind of the general framework. Now, what about the roles and responsibilities of the mentor? Well, what are they supposed to do and you know, what are the practical things that they should be doing? Uh, we spoke about a lot of this in the last episodes or even over the last couple of episodes. Uh, but just to, to go through some of these uh, responsibilities and roles um, in a no order, particular order, first would be to know the child's love language and to bless and engage them in that way. So remember we talked about how the different love languages with the way that we uh, receive love uh, best can be different. Some of us prefer touch, some of us like to spend time, some of us uh, do it through communication, etc. So knowing how what the child's preference is and, and using that in the best way uh, to make sure that, ch that the child feels the, you know, the most amount of love uh, and appreciation is essential. Right. Um, to speak words of affirmation and encouragement, again, we talked about this, you know, uh, telling them that they are smart, uh, that they are intelligent, that they're manly, womanly, etc. Just any any words of love and affirmation and encouragement throughout the day, just normal day-to-day -day things as well as things specifically for uh, this, this particular issue. To provide a healthy and healing touch. So, you know, we mean things like high fives which can be very powerful, and there's lots of um, research about that, actually. Hugs, uh, everybody loves a hug, mm -hmm. uh, or everybody needs a hug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, embrace, you know, arm around the shoulder, all of these sorts of things. Uh, healthy, appropriate, loving touch. Um, to teach skills, so this is, again, this can also be a part of a love language. You know, some, some people uh, develop uh, affinity, affection, and love and things through teaching and learning. So manual, you know, things like manual skills, uh, thinking skills, life skills, career, etc., whatever it might be, you know, so you might want to teach, for example, some, you might want to teach the child some DIY, for example. Mm -hmm. I really wish somebody would have done that with me because I really would like to know more. <laughs> I know, subhanAllah. It's just so easy to know how to fix things around the house. For sure. Uh, or it could be something else. It just, it, whatever, maybe it's something to do with like, I don't know, uh, school or uh, a project or something, mm -hmm. or maybe like career. So if, you know, there's, uh, you know, getting a new job, all of these things, there's just so many things I'm sure that, you know, you as a caretaker, parent, loved one can offer. Uh, and you, or as a mentor, you can offer uh, to the child that you're helping and to play together. So, you know, physical play, sports, having fun, uh, anything else uh, that's enjoyable right. and le uh, leisurely. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to assist in the grieving process. So this is very important. So this is helping the child go through the layers of the false selves, overcoming shame and anger, uh, grieving the heart and the pain, and then letting go and healing as well. So again, we've talked about this in great detail. You can go back to previous episodes to hear more about that. The mentor might also act as a surrogate parental figure, especially um, in the therapy uh, process. So, for example, if um, one of the parents or both of, unfortunately, both of the parents, if that's the case, are not available, can't participate, uh, don't want to participate, then Mm -hmm. the mentor can actually step in and take that role. Uh, and and fill that that space so you know inshallah regardless of the situation um and it doesn't always have to be the parent yeah. you know there's there's help available for everybody inshallah um the mentors should also be a good role model in particular areas of life so for example the dean showing uh, the mentee you know what loving by the dean looks like in the best and most beautiful way uh, one's career and work ethic you know, uh, taking care of oneself and others, um, how to be hospitable. You know, all of these things, the things of life, the ways of dealing with people, having good manners, mm-hmm. all of these things. This is how th- these are all things that the uh, the mentor can do for the the child that they're helping. Uh, also, to help them achieve self discipline, and this is so important for achieving anything in life. You know, having teaching them about accountability, integrity, doing things despite not feeling like you want to do them, having responsibility. And there's an episode in uh, the podcast where we talked about um, self-discipline mm-hmm. and all of these things in detail. Uh, so that's definitely one to check out if, if, if you want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Also to establish healthy boundaries. So obviously the mentor must know what healthy boundaries are in the first instance, but assuming that they do, you know, teaching the mentee or the child how to how to do that. And this is one of the most difficult things through the healing process. Mm-hmm. I can personally attest to that. So this is definitely something that um, is very, very important. Also to teach emotional self-regulation. So how to deal with all the different emotions we might deal with on a day-to-day basis in a healthy way. Uh, knowing that things like sadness and uh, grief are not things to run away from or to uh, diminish or to suppress mm-hmm. or anger even these are things that are normal parts of human expression mm-hmm. but how should we actually deal with them and that's so important for children to learn uh, from a young age and obviously this uh, we would uh, expect this is the role of the parents uh, or in this case the mentor so in other words like how to how to deal with difficult emotions because a lot of us you know grow up to yeah. self-soothe and engage in numbing behaviors when we deal with neg- with with difficult emotions but self-regulation is about kind of rewiring your brain and dealing with them in a healthy way as opposed to resorting to all of these bad habits that kind of soothe the pain yeah um yeah subhanallah this is very important absolutely and to bless the child with uh, their special gifts. So this is really important because children can't and don't know what they're good at unless somebody tells them. So unless somebody tells them that they're good at a thing and encourages them in that thing, they may not actually spend time on it, especially if it's something that, that is that is worthwhile and that, that could bring lots of benefits. So as a mentor, you know, they, they might... Um, this might be something that they want to focus on of, of identifying talents within the child and then helping to nurture them. So if they're perhaps good at a sport 
or they are particularly good with some aspect of, I don't know, seem like mathematics. <laughs> I'm just being really stereotypical <laughs> right now <laughs> for Muslim kids. But, you know, whatever it might be, provided the child obviously enjoys it as well and wants to engage in that thing, then definitely to encourage them and to nurture that that aspect of them. Right. And as we said before, it might be necessary to have several mentors as no one person can, you know, uh, be great at everything. Some people are more... Uh, are, are are better at one thing than another uh, and again each mentor will impart special gifts to the child that has that is struggling with SSA or, or gender dysphoria and also for parents it will be a double blessing uh, when you mentor someone else's child who experiences uh, SSA or gender dysphoria or not you, you can love your own child by loving another child you know, right. so many men and women with SSA and gender dysphoria are trying to find mentors yet a few people offer their assistance, um, they will gracefully accept your help as they're desperate looking for healthy masculine or feminine role models. Mm-hmm. And you will learn so much about your own child as well. And it's a win-win situation for you, your child, and the mentee. And there's so many wonderful stories of transformation that have happened through mentoring. Uh, and, you know, subhanAllah, I've heard many of those uh, as well. And, you know, the mentors, I will say, come in all shapes, sizes, and guises. Some of them are there in a more involved capacity, and some of them are only there for a, a certain uh, area. And they all complement, uh, you know, and support the child. So it's just worth bearing that in mind. It's, it's not that one person has to be everything, as we said. Um, having more than one person involved in a person's life is, is, a, is a good, healthy thing, uh, inshallah. So, yeah. Another very common question, very, very common question that Mm. that we get asked is, will change happen? Will my child or my sibling or my relative or my friend change? Um, Honestly, this is like one of the most, if not the most common question. Um, Mm. What we need to say here, we need to kind of deconstruct that. First of all, what do we mean by change, right? A lot of people say like, will he or she change? What do we mean by change? Mm -hmm. Does it mean that their same-sex attractions are going to like diminish or their opposite-sex attractions are going to increase? Or in the case of gender dysphoria, are these dysphoric feelings going to dissipate and will they grow to uh, be more comfortable in their own bodies? Yes or no, we don't know. I mean, these things are different between different people. Sometimes they may happen, sometimes they may not, right? If you mean by change, as in they will become more accepting of the idea that eventually they'll get married and have kids, well, that may or may not happen regardless whether they have same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria or not, right? That may happen or it may not happen. Now, what really matters here, what we encourage you to do is to kind of refocus that question and ask yourself, what really matters to the individual in question, right? What is most important here is to have the necessary knowledge, and we encourage everyone to work together, meaning the parents to work on themselves, to work as a team, and to help their child. Mm. Learn about the healing journey and do the work yourself, right? And when you start to do the work, and then your child starts to to do the work, you will start to see changes. And by changes, we mean... 
so many different things. Um, a very beautiful uh, quote that I came across, and I've mentioned this earlier at the beginning of the season, uh, in episode 67, um, it's in Michael Brown's book, A Queer Thing Happened to America, and Michael Brown quotes ex-gay uh, Jeff Johnston, who outlines the kind of change often experienced by Christians who were able to overcome their same-sex attractions, and actually he divided them into different categories, and these categories, when we look at them, they resonate with many of us in the healing and recovery community regardless to what extent our same-sex attractions do actually fluctuate. Mm. Um, and these categories are change in behavior, meaning no longer committing homosexual acts or being enslaved to sexual desires. Is this practical? Yes. Is it achievable? Yes, mm. many do achieve that. Yeah. Another another category is change in motivation, meaning from initial fear and shame to a love for God and desire to follow him. This is very practical as well. Yeah. Change in identity, meaning many men who came out of homosexuality do not think of themselves as gay or even ex-gay anymore. They are sons, their fathers, their friends, their husbands, and their men. And the same, of course, goes to women. So it, uh, can we shift our identities? For sure. This is also practical. Another one is change in attitude, from feeling victimized and rejected, quote-unquote, to being emotionally healed and filled with gratitude and joy, right? This is a huge milestone. Uh, another category is change in relationships with men and women, to be able to develop healthy non-sexual relationships with those of the same sex. Is this attainable? Yes. I mean, we can, a lot of us can testify to that, alhamdulillah. Mm. And then an, a very important category or um, theme, we can say, is the change in relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A lot of us used to view Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as angry, uninvolved, uncaring, you know, a negative figure. And now we see him as, um, you know, um, a loving creator, right? We have a very deep and connected relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is definitely something that we can attain, inshallah, through the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some people can achieve and have achieved changes in their homosexual orientation or their gender dysphoria, Right. Um, some have achieved a state where their same-sex attractions were able to diminish significantly. Others were able to achieve a state where their opposite-sex attractions were able to kind of become more materialized. Uh, people dealing with gender dysphoria were able to get to a point where they were able to kind of embrace their own physical bodies, embrace their own gender, mm. um, and, and kind of deal with their dysphoric feelings. All of these are on a spectrum right? But what matters is that change, what we mean by change, if we are able to get to a point where we can heal our wounds, grow, recover, become more in tune with our gender identity, our own, um, you know, physical bodies, develop healthy relationships with members of the same sex. These are all wonderful things. Yeah. So please keep all of this in mind. Don't get fixated about, oh, I want my son to become straight or my daughter to become straight. I don't want to, to, to experience gender dysphoria anymore. Well, you know, it's a spectrum. There are lots of layers underneath that. Yeah. All right. So we hope that this is clear by now. And, you know, we can speak from personal experience, subhanAllah. Like we, you know, you and I, Adam, we've known each other for years. We've started off from a place of, 
you know, kind of like adopting this identity paradigm. Yeah. Like, okay, this is who I am. There's no way that anything is going to change. Like, how do I deal with this? How do I reconcile that with religion? Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah. We have come a long way by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have healed a lot of our own personal issues. We have grown to... You know, we've had mentors, alhamdulillah, uh, people who love us unconditionally, men who love us unconditionally in, the, in, in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. And through that, we were able to kind of overcome a lot of our shame, inferiority feelings. Um, you know, part of the healing journey is to develop friendships with the same sex, to go out, do work, contribute, all of that. That has been so healing. Like looking back two, three, four years ago, things were completely different, subhanAllah, and now we're in a different place. Alhamdulillah, may Allah bless everyone, increase us all, and keep us near to Him. Amen. And inshallah, things will keep on improving, and it's all up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We, we only do our work, and we have to look on Him. But this is just to highlight that, you know, change is not very um, change is kind of seen as a reductionist uh, term we don't want to see it as something that is reducing you to either x or y it's not black or white there are so many layers and you know just kind of yeah. take a look at it holistically and um, yeah that really makes a big difference and again you know when we talk about change any kinds of change whatever kind of change or improvement there is regardless of you know ssa or gd in general we're talking about humans any kind of change or improvement is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It may or may not happen, and that is not the point. What we need to do, again, is to do the work and leave it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Him to allow the results to manifest themselves, right? Mm. Uh, again, like from the people that we know, like you and I, Adam, we know a lot of people, you know, from the SSA community, whether men or women, they were able to get married, yeah. to uh, get married and have kids and they're leading wonderful lives. Yep. Some were able to get married, but they weren't fulfilled. So they got divorced and they're happy being single uh, men or women dedicated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and helping their communities. Others have chosen to remain celibate and there's no shame in that. Um, you know, different outcomes. It doesn't mean that one is right and the other is wrong. Yeah. We all have different, different, you know, ways of living our lives. As long as we keep Allah front and center and yeah. we dedicate our lives to Him, regardless where we are, what we do, etc., what matters is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So please keep this in mind as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And some of us are still trying to figure it out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to have come to any conclusion. Mm -hmm. Subhanallah. And just to continue along this, you know, talk about change in, in this context of this question, we have to emphasize, you know, please don't force, coerce, guilt, manipulate or issue uh, ultimatums when you're dealing with uh, your child who's experiencing these problems. This is just the wrong thing to do and will have the complete opposite effect of what you are intending by doing that. Like the worst thing you can actually tell your child, if you don't change and become straight, I will do this and this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like, that's going to work. <laughs> if it was that easy. Yeah, for sure. It's like now. a switch. You know, flip the switch, honey. I know. It's a part of And exactly. And, you know, this just doesn't work. So just please don't do it. Mm hmm and, you know, we must also question the, mo the motivations that we have or that you might have for wanting to change your child. So, you know, why do you want them to change anyway? Are you thinking about marriage when you think about change or reputation, loneliness, perhaps? Focus on them and get getting them to a place where they can be God-conscious Muslims. That is what matters the most. Mm -hmm. Regardless of, you know, SSA or OSA, opposite sex attraction, marriage or not, it doesn't matter at all. Also, for marriage, check out episodes 36 and 37 of the podcast to know more and clear up any misconceptions where, you know, we discuss a lot of these things in detail. Right. 
And Joseph Nicolosi, he says, um, and I quote, change moves slowly on a gradual continuum and there will undoubtedly be regressions. It is not a matter of once homosexual, now heterosexual. And like all psychological change, the transformation will probably never be total. Realistically, there will be some lingering attractions and temptations over the course of a lifetime. Change gradually unfolds in three areas. Self-identity, the realisation that I am a heterosexual man, I just have a homosexual problem. Sexual behaviour, I will not act on these temptations. Attractions, not even desiring another man. The first two categories are the easier ones to change. Achieving change in all three areas is more difficult. The last category in particular will change to varying degrees and will progress very gradually over time. As a parent, you will, I sincerely hope, always love and remain close to your child if he does not seek or achieve change. He will still be your son or she will still be your daughter no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a beautiful summary of this whole idea of change. Absolutely. So... And this is why we say that this point is really not about healing people or making them heterosexual or any of these things. It is more about, when I say healing, I meant healing in the context of uh, sexual attraction. It's more about bringing them back to Allah's Pantara, making them God conscious and mm-hmm. ensuring that they have a very solid and firm foundation so that they just they, they don't fall into the haram and they live a life that's fulfilled and the thing is is that when you seek Allah, Allah opens doors and see all of these things that we worry about, they fix themselves the barakah of Allah is more than what we could or more than what I could uh, describe and he takes care of all of the worries that we have the ones that we're aware of, the ones that we're not Absolutely. subhanAllah so it's this is really an exercise in in tawakkul in Allah and you know inshallah uh, we pray that, that you know he gives you that in abundance as you go through this process amen amen inshallah amen another question is you know if you're a parent or you're a sibling and you're helping your child or your sibling or a family member you might be thinking i'm doing the work and i'm trying my best i'm implementing all the techniques that i can will my efforts succeed right you're looking in the future into the future and you're asking okay i'm doing all of this am i going to get anywhere right mm-hmm. we need to remember that we are taught in islam to do the necessary work in all areas of life according to our abilities to seek Allah's pleasure and approval, right? And to rest assured that Allah will take care of the results. Whether we see the fruits of our labor in this lifetime or not, that's not up to us. It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as such, the outcome that we seek in this dunya is no longer the end result. But Allah's rida, right, his approval, his acceptance is our goal. And when we think about that, that creates a paradigm shift, right? Because mm. everything that I work on is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah. He rewards me for it, inshallah, and I seek his rida and his contentment. And ultimately, he is the one who decides how things turn out, regardless whether whether they turn out to be as we would like them to or not. We're going to be content anyway, because we know that A, we've done our best, and B, he takes care of everything, right? So keep this in mind. Our duty is to do the work for his sake, to seek his support, and then the rest is up to him. Yeah. We do not put goals for change in our child's SSA or gender dysphoria and so on, but rather our goal is to help our child heal and grow to whatever extent Allah decrees. We put in the work, 
right? What is within our capacity is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. So what is within your capacity, meaning your capacity to, to love, to give attention, you know, time, touch and talk that we spoke about, uh, the ability f to, to encourage your children to develop friendships, maybe to go to therapy if that's possible, counseling, right, to engage in support groups, everything that is within your capacity that you can take care of, that is, that is what you should be doing. But at the end of the day, no one has anything guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Dunya is all about uncertainties. And if your child chooses the LGBT lifestyle in the end, you are already clear on where you stand with regards to that, right? And we hope that you, as loving parents, will always cherish and keep a relationship with your child, right? Because your love is what ultimately matters and, and, and lasts, actually. And you should never give up hope for healing or change at any point in the future. Allah takes care of everything. It's all in Allah's hands. Mm -hmm. And there's something um, that's quite interesting. So if you want to think about children or siblings or whoever who is dealing with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, we can like categorize them into three different categories, if you will. So the first category is the one who's dealing with same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria, but who has this kind of internal capacity or wish that, you know, they want to do the work. They want, they are religious, maybe they want to commit, they want to, um, you know, kind of heal a lot of their personal issues, right? So that's the first one. The second one is kind of they're confused, undecided in between. Mm -hmm. And the third kind is the one that has fully accepted the identity, you know, I'm gay, queer, trans, non-binary, what, so on and so forth. So it's somewhere in one of those three. Of course, you would expect that it's easiest to deal with the first category because they're motivated, they want to put in the effort, they will use the tools and the resources, they will be receptive to the love and attention and care. Of course, at the beginning, there might be resistance because, again, we've spoken about defensive detachment and a sense of inferiority, etc. But there is a lot of common ground for cooperation. And through the healing journey, your child may establish new boundaries, will learn to separate and individuate from mm -hmm. either the opposite sex or a parent or both parents. And this will be healthy developmentally for the child to kind of explore their own personhood, perhaps even for the first time, and they will open up once again, but this time as a more whole and healthy individual. Mm -hmm. Now, for the second category, which is, you know, those who are kind of in between, confused, undecided, the, the same applies here. The same advice that we've given throughout these episodes applies here. If they're still living with you at home, you know, you can implement these plans with them and you may prevent them from, uh, as in, you know, when you do all of this work, it may prevent them from living that lifestyle eventually eventually if they're living on their own you know having done the work um they would choose not to kind of pursue that um uh, gay affirmative or trans affirmative lifestyle but again there's so much that you can do to help it might be more difficult with these kinds of children but it's definitely possible now the third kind again um you know the one that is completely in line with the lifestyle and they they're proud of their identity and so on and so forth of course um you know, it's it's kind of going to be even a bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, you apply the same tools, but the only difference is that it might take longer for them to kind of break through. The main reasons being that they have kind of a mental block. They've assimilated a lot of this paradigm and identity issue. And um, yeah, it kind of prohibits them from exploring whatever you have to say. So this kind of requires patience, love. You have to expect slow progress and Remember that they have a lot of defensive shields and guards around their hearts and minds. So keep praying, keep loving them. Again, three T's, time, touch, and talk. It's going to take time. It is challenging. But uh, eventually, inshallah, um, you can start to see some improvements, God willing. 
But again, I mean, whether you see that or not, it's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What matters is that you put in the effort mm. and you persevere. Um, so that's in general. Yeah. Needless to say, you know, the the keys to success in this are patience, consistency, and a positive attitude, and tawakkul uh, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly seeking his help in the process. Practice the healthy skills that you, that you will learn and have learned and keep a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Pour the right kinds of love into your child and seek support uh, as you do this. And obviously pray for Allah's intervention and guidance. And invent- eventually, inshallah, there will be a change in your family system, regardless of what happens to your child's SSC or gender dysphoria issues. You'll need to take care of yourself on this journey. And again, it's a healing journey, not a destination. Your child needs healthy affection, affirmation, and acceptance. And that's your child and not their lifestyle, but their true personhood. The more you invest in this, eventually you'll move into their hearts and break it wide open. Of course, Allah is the one doing the work and all healing and growth comes from him. You do your work and be confident that Allah will be working as well. It's important to remember that the responsibility for quote-unquote change is not on anyone you don't change anyone, I don't change anybody, nobody changes anyone. You create intimacy and secure attachment. You know, we cannot individually change anyone, only Allah changes the people. Remember that you can change yourself only, you give love in all of its forms as much as you can to those around you and you set an example with your steadfast and unconditional love, your patience, steadfastness, righteousness and piety. Bearing in mind that most SSA relationships don't last, your relationship with your child is the one that lasts the more you pour love into it. You know, so the, the idea that you would say through your actions and words, you know, I will love you with all my life, no matter what. Please teach me what you need. I'll never let go. And put your faith in Allah and do your best and never give up. Absolutely. Amen. Another uh, scenario that you might face is the situation in which your child might be or your sibling might be sharing literature or online content with you or asking you to attend meetings of their choice, which are, you know, pro LGBT and the parent or the sibling might be like, what do I do in this case? We encourage you because the idea is, again, don't think about it in terms of halal haram, but think about it in terms of you building bridges. So at least at the beginning. So if they share with you this content, you know, be open to it. Thank them for giving it to you. Tell them that you will check it out, right? Again, the aim is for you to build bridges with your child or your sibling. You are letting them know that you appreciate and respect them by doing that, right? Because if you say, no, you're not going to do that, it's it's not going to help you in building bridges and reaching to, into their hearts, right? Remember everything that we've been talking about throughout these episodes. Mm. That's your key to to kind of, finding that common denominator between you and them. Even if you disagree with your content, you don't have to agree with the content at all, right? Your aim is to create a secure bond with your child or your sibling or, you know, the person in, in, in the scenario. And then once you have checked that content out, be honest in your opinions and views, you know, don't lie, but at the same time, don't be hypercritical, right? Um, of course, you know, your child or your sibling may react strongly to any disagreement, but remember that they are still working through 
um, you know, there, there are issues of self-regulation, acceptance, and all of these matters, right? Especially if they are teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so be kind and loving to them, right? Pick the, your words carefully, but be fair, right? Yep. If there is emotional conflict, reaffirm that you love them no matter what. You must ensure that no matter what happens, you will always let them know that you that they are loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Now, what about if they ask you to go to meetings of their choice? Our advice is pray istikhara, be courageous and go. (laughs) Remember, again, you are seeking to understand even if you disagree. You don't have to agree. You're not condoning anything if you go to the meetings, right? You're just there out of curiosity because your child or your sibling asks you to and you are there to learn. Walking in your child's shoes will help you do that. It's not, again, you're not supporting the lifestyle. You're not condoning it. They know where you stand in terms of these issues, right? But what you are doing is you're showing your child that you care and aiming to understand him or her as well as others in their shoes. And once you have spent time reading their material, engaging with it and having conversations, you can begin to share some of the material that you like. Because ultimately, a lot of you would want to share the material Mm -hmm. that is Islamically oriented. I mean, just kind of if, if you flip the table and look at it from their perspective, like if you want to share your material with them, then... You want them to be responsive at least. So you have to be responsive to the material that they share with you. Um, so just keep it natural um, and gauge the temperature, as they say, right? Again, maybe your child or your sibling has been com- consuming a lot of LGBT affirming material. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep that in mind that it's not going to be like smooth sailing, especially at the beginning. And once you have built enough rapport with them to offer an alternative viewpoint, and they get to a point where they are able to receive it well, then, you know, feel free to share your material. But don't be like, okay, I went to your meeting, now you have to go to my meeting. <laughs> or, you know, I've read your paper, now you have to listen to this podcast or this. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. Right? What matters is at the beginning, build those foundations with them. Do not hammer them with any material of your choice. Once you get to a point where you've built those communication skills and that rapport and you've established that, you know, emotional bond and they're secure with that, you can start you know, like slowly but surely introducing these concepts, engaging to what extent they're actually willing to discuss these things with you. Use your intuition, right? If they are biased against these things, if they are rejecting, if they're adamant about not listening, then it might not be the right time, but you can always try again at some other time. And the ultimate question, what we want you to get from this, uh, the take-home message here is ask yourself this question, will doing this thing bring me and my child closer? Whatever this thing that you want to do is, will it bring me closer to my child? Mm. You are seeking to heal the wounds and create secure bonding and attachment, right? If you introduce literature that opposes their worldview and it will jeopardize that relationship, then refrain from doing that. Focus on building secure bonding and attachment. When you do share anything, share it in small doses and get their feedback on it. As they say, you know, drip feed the content to them and continually check in to see how they are feeling about it. So we hope this helps, inshallah. Another common question is, you know, I discovered the diary of my child and this, uh, and learned that they are, you know, confused about their gender identity or experiencing SSA. You know, what should I do about this? Now, this is a tricky situation, but first of all, do not tell them that you discovered this in their personal, private diary. This is uh, detrimental. 
uh, to your relationship and to trust, which is so important uh, as we've established uh, in your relationship with them, especially in this context. So do not do this. What you can do, though, is cultivate unconditional love and security, all of the things that we've already talked about, but don't make any drastic changes to your normal day-to-day life. So don't don't become, you know, overly, don't go over and above what your baseline is at the moment. Um, you don't want to rock the boat, so to speak, too much. Yeah, and they'd be like, okay, what the hell is happening? Did they read my diary? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So you, do, you don't want to be sending off signals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, realize that, you know, this is your child, regardless of whatever happens or however they are feeling. You know, you you have to be there for them. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot over the last, this episode and the last. So please remember that. And what you can do, though, is you can begin reading up and preparing yourself and consulting the proper resources. So all the books, the podcasts, articles, etc. And to prepare for the day that they'll come and tell you, you know, this this will give you, I guess, a head start more than anything else. You, you know, being prepared and maybe thinking about, you know, how will you and your spouse deal with it when this when that day comes, when that moment comes. Also, make lots of uh, obviously ask a lot of Pantana for help and guidance. This is this goes without saying, but we should say it as well. You know, Allah is in control of all things, and you know, may He assist you through this process. Uh, also, do your own work. Again, episode seventy nine. Um, if you haven't listened to that, then you can go there and you know, we talk about this in great detail uh, and go through the, the the whole series, this entire series that's dedicated to, you know, friends, family, community members uh, uh, of people who have SSA or gender dysphoria. And then finally, please don't go into tracking or overbearing parental mode. Again, this will not help the situation. So avoid. Avoid. Yeah, avoid doing that for sure. And another question that's asked often is, you know, we discovered our adolescent child has been looking at gay porn or is addicted to porn, masturbation, sex, etc., or has been experimenting. How do we deal with this? So homosexual experimentation may result from feelings of normal peer infatuation, uh, emotional dependency, a need for belonging, search for pleasure or just simple curiosity. It might be an expression of anxiety about growing into adulthood and a means of avoiding the challenges of heterosexual social relationships. You know, as someone who's younger, who feels socially inadequate, overwhelmed by the pressures of being in relationships or in conflict about, you know, their sexual desires and impulses, might resort to engaging in homosexual behaviour by default. A teenager's preoccupation with gay themes should cause a parent serious concern, and this requires appropriate professional intervention. Sometimes these preoccupations are also accompanied by overwhelming guilt, self-condemnation, and even suicidal thoughts, particularly if you, as the parents, are harshly critical of your teenager's identity struggles. Mm -hmm. You must take your son or daughter's depression and suicidal thoughts with utter seriousness, a very appropriate response is to affirm your son or daughter as a person and to recognize your child's deep need for same-sex emotional attachment while refraining from affirming their behaviors as normal. Again, we've talked about this uh, uh, repeatedly throughout this uh, these episodes and, um, you know, it's so important. Right. Experimenting with homosexual behavior serves to reinforce and deepen a gay identity. So it's very important to intervene early 
As we discussed before, unlike a prepubescent child, the teenager is now dealing with puberty and the onset of eroticization of the quote-unquote different than me, hence the same sex in this case. Mm -hmm. The lack of gender identification and same sex emotional needs remain unmet and contribute to the homosexual desire and the fulfillment of this desire is very easy nowadays with pornography and sex outlets mm-hmm. and you know obviously let's not forget the role of media and the pop culture as well as the school systems nowadays unfortunately that portray lgbt life favorably even glamorously encouraging uh, all quote-unquote sexually and gender questioning adolescents to try on an lgbt identity Especially for youth who typically feel misunderstood and unappreciated by parents and authority figures, the notion of a subculture with similarly oppressed youth, you know, quote-unquote, where I can be accepted for who I really am, is incredibly appealing. Traditionally, mental health professionals understood much of adolescent homosexual behaviour to be experimentation rather than a commitment to some permanent form of self-identity. They acknowledged that for the majority of adolescents, homosexual experiences represented nothing more than a period of developmental curiosity that would eventually be discarded as heterosexual interests came to predominate. Mm -hmm. And they recognized that with proper guidance, the young person would sort out the real meaning of their sexualized longings. But today, the teenager's natural desire to belong to an embracing community, along with the extraordinary easy availability of porn and gay sex, can quickly lead any confused young person into a deepening gay self-identity. Joseph Nicolosi says that quite a few of his adult homosexual clients have told him that they always assumed they were straight until their first homosexual experience. Afterward, they believed that the pleasure felt in that experience must have proven to them to be gay. Mm-hmm. You know, also, it's important to know that teens' sexual feelings are paradoxically the most intense when their personal identity is the most uncertain and most fragile. Premature self-labeling, such as gay, it can be especially damaging at this age because adolescents are not adequately equipped to make decisions that carry profound and potentially life-threatening lifestyle consequences. Absolutely. So given everything that Adam just mentioned, you know, what do we do? Yep. Uh, okay, so we've discovered that our child has been looking at gay porn or has been surfing, you know, adult websites, cruising or looking for sex or, you know, has been masturbating excessively or has been experimenting, blah, blah, blah. How do we deal with all of that? First of all, of course, it's going to be shocking. You need to be deal with you need to deal with yourselves first. It's going to be shocking. You need to navigate that shock, that pain, that feeling of disgust or uh, those difficult emotions that you're going through. Right. Uh, we've, t- we've spoken about the five stages of grief in episode 79 and how to navigate that. You may want to go back to that um, and, and revisit that episode as well. Please, please do not make it about you. A lot of parents make it about them. You know, how could my child do this? You know, I've taught you better. How did you do that? Or they might confront the child and make things worse. Do not blow up, please. Okay. If you approach this wisely and rationally, the chances of you working with your child and improving and actually helping them outgrow that would become much more, you know, realizable, inshallah. When we talk about any kind of addiction uh, or any kind of, num- um, you know, behaviors, harming, harmful behaviors, even if it's addiction, I mean, if it got to a place of addiction, all of these things are there to fill a void, right? They act as numbing behaviors or mechanisms to kind of soothe the pain. So your child is actually resorting to these things 
because there's a void inside of him that he or she wants to fill, right? Mm -hmm. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection. And that is very important. If you want to help your child overcome these issues, you have to connect with them. You need to provide them with healthy resources, with healthy people that they can, that they can connect with, right? Um, we've spoken about this in detail back in season four. So if you want to, um, we encourage you to go back to episode number 55, which talks about masturbation in detail. Episodes 56 to 59, these are four episodes that are de dedicated to porn and sex addictions with lots of references and resources linked into them. Uh, there's so much to learn about when it comes to the physiological, emotional, and the personal perspectives of addiction, you know, techniques to demystify triggers and overcome urges, uh, to understand more about the withdrawal period, what it includes, potential pitfalls and mind games on the journey of healing recovery, as well as lots of practical tips and tools that you can use, as well well, spiritual themes that we need to understand. And again, you don't have to do this alone. You need help in the process. Please seek counseling and therapy. There are lots of support uh, systems and um, therapists who are available to help you and help your child kind of uh, overcome all of these issues that they're going through. But please realize that your child needs you. The issue here is that of connection belonging, love, affirmation, time, touch, and talk, right? The three T's. Do not blow up in their faces. Realize that they're dealing with pain. Don't exacerbate their pain or add more to it. Embrace them, love them, and move forward together in a direction that helps them heal, right? That's what's important here. Another question is, and this is something that hits home, I discovered that my child was a victim of sexual abuse. What should I do? Right. Um, and this can be very devastating for parents to learn, um, especially if they had no idea that this actually happened. We have two comprehensive episodes on this topic, episodes 60 and 61, that talk about this entire topic from A to Z. So please check these episodes out, as well as the resources included in there. There are tons of resources that have attached their links, websites, etc. We have spoken about the impacts of sexual abuse, the barriers to healing. Uh, we talked about the path of healing from sexual abuse, as well as a lot of frequently asked questions for survivors and their loved ones. So please check them out. Check out the books and the websites that I've added. All of these are linked in the show notes of these two episodes. Again, episodes 60 and 61. Now, if you as a parent or a sibling uh, or, uh, or a relative of someone who is a survivor of sexual abuse, if you are beginning to deal with this, our most important advice that we can give you, please take care of yourself. Do not push the individual who experienced abuse or assault, right? To do things or not do things or say things or not say things. The better, the better that you take care of yourself, the more effectively you can support him or her. You will be more able to take a break when you are getting overwhelmed, to manage your feelings like anger and sadness, and to reach out for help when you need it. You will be a model of self-care for him or her, and you are more likely to stick with him or her in ways that are healthy for you, even in the hardest times. It's very important to pace yourself, right? So everything that we talked about in the first episode in the sequence, which is on personal healing, everything applies here, right? It's possible to learn about sexual abuse and assault pretty quickly, but you don't have to figure everything out the right way. If you don't pace yourself and you go full steam ahead, this can create new problems. 
So before trying to share what you learn with a person you are concerned about, take some time to kind of quote-unquote digest the information for yourself and take time to sort through your own feelings and your beliefs and your needs. Again, there might be the five stages of grief that you need to go through, so take time to kind of go through that and consider what is the most effective way to talk to your child or your sibling or your relative. Right? Again, do not push them or make plans or whatever, because when we push them, we're often responding to our own feelings rather than their own needs. And as a result, the other person is going to feel that, they're going to resist it, they're going to push back. Right, And at that point, it becomes a struggle. Right, It's not going to help them, it's not going to help us. Seek help and counseling to understand the matter more. Develop tools and techniques to help yourself and the other person who experienced the trauma. Uh, survivor stories are a huge asset to read and to listen to. This is very important. So check those out online. There are lots of those. Or talk to others who have been through this as well, who have gotten to a better place. There is so much to learn from in terms of dealing with pain and healing and resilience. One of the most important things to deal with is the idea that many parents or siblings actually blame themselves. Like, if I had been more vigilant, if I had been with them more, you know, things would have not turned out that they the way that they did. The, the fact that mistakes or traumas happen in many cases may be beyond us, right? You have tried your best, but some things are just beyond us, you know? So it's easy to slip into shame and self-blame, but it takes courage and work to fix the problem and to grow and heal. So please attend to the problem when it arises. Do not postpone it or ignore it. Now that you know about the problem, you have to deal with it, right? And if an incident happens again, please investigate it immediately and do not let it slide. If you knew about something that has happened maybe in the past couple of weeks or past couple of months or even years back and you can investigate that, then do that. Seek therapy, counseling and support to help the individual who's been through that traumatic experience to allow them to heal and to grow from that and recover, right? The earlier that you attend to this problem, the better chances for healing exist and always offer love and love and love and attention and affection. And then if the other person is willing to speak, please ask them questions, be curious, but do not make any judgments or be defensive or make presumptions and all of that, right? Allow them to articulate their own thoughts and concerns. Be aware, be cognizant, be a good investigator, try to find out what has happened and be aware of what they are exposed to through the media and other people as well. Allow for an environment in your home where they can share everything with you without any fear or judgment. And that is very important. And if they go through like mood changes, they seem to be aloof, they are not themselves anymore. Ask questions to make sure that they are safe and teach them to trust their gut feelings to tell you when something uh, has happened or when someone has touched them inappropriately, especially if they're kids. And to never be afraid of sharing these experiences. You were speaking in general to kind of like prevention methods to lay the foundations for a healthy atmosphere where children can share with you things when they happen, as opposed to like being ashamed of them and not talking to anyone about to anyone about them, right? And tell them that no matter what happens, you are there for them to support them and love them. And again, speaking from a communal healing perspective, please do not shy away from talking about sexual abuse in your own schools, in your mosques, in your Islamic centers, in your social gatherings. We know it's a taboo topic, but sadly, this is a very common issue that we face, especially in our um, as Muslim communities. And again, we have to regurgitate that over and over, that Islam has nothing to do with it. It's all about, you know, trauma, toxic cultural mindsets, what have you. 
It is about time that we engage in this conversation. Reach out, helping hand when you can. There are many people who are dealing with this. You never know, you might actually be saving someone's life if you do that. Again, we've spoken about this in detail back in episode 60 and 61, so please uh, check them out if and when that is possible. Another question that's commonly asked is if my child has gay friends or he or she has a partner or lover what do we do if your SSC child is still living at home do your best to get to know you know their friends if they're an adult and living away from home becoming acquainted with their friends will be much more challenging so any efforts you make along these lines are best done in a friendly non-intrusive sort of way you might say things like i want to get to know you better and your friends too as they begin talking about one friend or another you might ask um, what is it about your friend that you like so much become more curious and try to learn what they're doing their interests and take time to meet these friends um, invite them over even you might wonder does this one have SSA? Maybe the other one. You know, let go of those types of thoughts. Remember, those who experience SSA are heart children who need love. It's all about compassion and genuine concern. Mm-hmm. And the more that we listen to our children and their friends, the better we will understand and appreciate them. Please be sure you're acquainted with your son's friends. As a father and as a mother, do the same for your adult daughter. If your child has a same-sex girlfriend or boyfriend, our advice is that you go out of your way to meet, embrace, and love this person. This is someone else's son or daughter, remember. And all SSA kids are wounded and looking for love. And I know this may be one of the most difficult things for you to do. Perhaps even the yuck factor will rise up from the depths of your soul. You must do your best to get over that recoil. Take a breath and try and see beyond the adolescent or adult to the child. What you're really looking at are two little boys or two little girls seeking to fulfill their gender identity through one another. Mm -hmm. The problem is neither one of them has solved this identity crisis. With your warmth and presence, though, you can be the bearer of great treasures for both of them. Be compassionate, be generous, and be as loving as you can. It's worth repeating that by getting to know your child's partner, you can figure out what needs your child is trying to fulfill with that person. If she has an older partner, for example, then she has a need for being parented or is making up for the lost parenting. If it's the same age partner, you know, he's trying to absorb or inherit characteristics that he feels detached from within himself. And if the partner is younger, then she's trying to parent or love herself through another person or attempting to heal unresolved issues from that period in her life. Many women have been deeply hurt by men and therefore turned to women for their native affection. Some are looking for mothering, others for someone to mother. They are looking to join with someone from the same sex to meet childhood emotional needs for bonding and intimacy. Or they may be fleeing from intimacy with someone of the opposite sex because of hetero-emotional or hetero-social wounds. Some are drawn to the weaker or more wounded types. They are excellent caretakers. Basically, they are giving to others what they hunger for themselves. They're just too frightened of trusting anyone or of quote-unquote losing control. The more you reach out and embrace your child's friend or partner, the closer you can grow to your SSA child. Your children will know fully well that you completely disagree with that lifestyle. It shows the power of your unconditional love. Again, love them 
But on the other hand, when you embrace the partner, this might make the child furious because remember, sometimes there is an attachment problem. There's some kind of oppositional behavior. You hurt me and now I'm going to hurt you, that type of thinking. Mm -hmm. So by loving their partner, you may upset them because they unconsciously want to hurt you through their same-sex activities. And then when this doesn't work, it might be confusing. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, be persistent and consistent in loving both your child and their partner. True love has the power to heal. Absolutely, for sure. Again, a lot of parents might, you know, be completely rejecting of this idea, and they're like, "What the hell are you saying? You know, we don't want that. We don't want mm -hmm. to know those people, and we don't want our son or daughter to be living that lifestyle." Again, none of this is condoning the lifestyle. Just because you, you know, if you reach out and you embrace your child and you embrace the other person, yeah. None of that means that you are okay with the lifestyle itself. And, um, you know, I've spoken, subhanAllah, in the past um, two years in particular, I've been speaking to a couple of parents. And one um, particular couple, uh, God bless them. Um, Salaamu Alaikum if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> they're such a lovely, um, you know, mother and father. May Allah bless them. Um, they, you know, they've been, it's it's quite difficult. Their Their, their daughter has grown up. Um, she has a partner, female partner, obviously. Um, they're living together, and you know the the, the parents are uh, Muslims. They are, um, you know, they're they're dedicated Muslims, and you know they're not okay with this arrangement. But they have put in the work, mashaAllah. I mean, I'm proud of them. May Allah bless them and increase them. They've read books. Mm -hmm. They've contacted therapists and resources. They have done the work, and they have embraced their child. And even though it's very painful to both of them, mother and father, but they are doing that because they love their child. Um, mm. And the, when you ask them, like, are you okay with the lifestyle? They're like, heck no, of course not. We, we are never going to condone the lifestyle, right? And even though it's difficult, yet they're still persevering. Yeah. Their child, does the child know that, that, that her father and mother are not okay with the lifestyle? Of course she does. Right. So this is this is where the boundaries are set, you know, so you as parents can set boundaries with what is acceptable under your own roof. So under their roof, yeah. what they don't accept is, you know, any particular behaviors or acts that are haram, halas, full, full stop. Right. But, you know, when when their um, daughter and her partner, they come and visit, they're coming and visiting as friends. Right. They're having dinner, chilling at home and then they leave. So nothing haram is happening. Right. So this is where we need to kind of draw the line. Yeah. Um, you know, our households are Muslim households. They follow Islamic values and laws. And this is where it is. But keep in mind that your love is the one that lasts. And we hope that you will build those bridges and you will continue to establish those foundations that, such that your child will eventually come back to you, inshallah. Now, does that happen? When is that going to happen? That's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, we do the work, we leave the rest up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And we hope that makes sense, inshallah. Another question that follows up on this is, you know, what if our child wants to have a sleepover? Like they're still adolescents or, you know, young adults, but they're still living with us and they want to have a sleepover and they want to bring in, you know, their same sex friend. And we know that there's something going on. Well, you know, here the, the, the answer is that you need to be consistent with your values. I mean, judging by like a liberal household, would you allow your son to bring a girlfriend home and you would have her sleep in his bed? I mean, no, you wouldn't, right? So d do not be inconsistent and allow 
his boyfriend to do the same, right? If, if you don't allow that for your daughter or for your son who doesn't have same-sex attractions, then you would not allow it for your son or daughter who does have same-sex attractions at home. Mm-hmm. So you maintain the same standard with whoever it is. And obviously here we're talking to an Islamic audience. So, you know, we have our own Islamic values and laws. So whatever is haram, we don't allow it under our own roof, right? We follow our deen. This applies to everyone under this roof. So when you do that, Your child, of course, may be angry with you, but they will respect your integrity because this law applies to everyone, right? Yeah. And, you know, we suggest a particular way of communicating. You can say something like, son, if you want your friend to stay over, you and he need to sleep in different rooms, right? We would maintain the same standard with everyone as you know, right? So the same thing happens here. And you can elaborate on the religious perspective of what's haram and what's halal. So you're not kind of saying, oh, no sleepovers, full stop. But you're saying, okay, well, if that's going to happen, then we're going to hold you to the same standards that we hold everyone else to it. And you're welcome to bring your friend home, but you're going to have to sleep in two different bedrooms, full stop. Another question is, my child uh, or sibling or um, loved one is openly gay or trans, living the lifestyle as a partner and so on. Is there hope for them to ever come back? As we've said before, that's in the hands of Allah. What is within our capabilities is to actually do the work, build bridges and shower them with unconditional love and be there for them, whilst also being clear about our own boundaries and what we accept and don't accept. Ultimately, your love is what lasts at the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you just do the work and the rest is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. yeah. You know. Another question is, my child has a partner and they're living together. I'm doing my best to embrace them both, but it hurts. I'm praying, doing my best, but I can't sit like this anymore. You're doing your best. Seek help from Allah. Discuss this with your spouse and support system and seek counseling and help for yourself. Please remember, your child is a grown adult now and they make their own choices. You've done your part. Now they're independent and have their own choices to make. Keep praying for them. Keep connecting with them. But you know where you stand on these issues. And your love with them is the one thing that will last. Remember, we're asked to do the work. The result isn't on us. And again, as we've said before, it's all in Allah's hands. Uh, place your trust in him and inshallah no matter what happens um, you know he will always be there inshallah uh, and we can't control the eventual outcomes but what we can do is, is to do our best absolutely and subhanallah I actually remember going back to the couple that I've mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago the mother um, actually reached out and, and she told me that, you know, I'm doing all of this, but it really hurts me from the inside. Like we're even, you know, celebrating, you know, our daughter's partner's birthday at our home. We're inviting them to lo- to to like um, lunch and dinner every now and then. We're reaching out, but it really kills me from the inside. And everything that you just mentioned, you know, the answer that you gave, I told her that. But subhanAllah, at that point, I also remembered saying something that... Um, you know, we kind of need to reorient our compass to what matters and we do our best. We seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yes, things are challenging. Mm-hmm. And these are ibtila'at, these are trials and tribulations and Allah doesn't give us something more than we can handle. Um, but also sometimes we need to ask ourselves, why, you know, what is this feeling trying to tell me? Like, why am I feeling this way? This pain that I'm having, despite the fact that I'm doing my best, that I'm not seeing my, my child, quote unquote, change or leave the lifestyle or be the way that I want them to be. 
maybe this kind of dissonance that I'm experiencing is because I haven't surrendered this issue completely. And I know that this is like a high level, um, like a next step sort of thing that is very difficult to do. But maybe sometimes like we go through trials and tribulations and we know this from our deen that Allah wants to purify us to the extent that we're no longer attached to anything and anyone but him, right? You know, the essence of la ilaha illallah. And so sometimes maybe these very excruciating challenges that we go through are a way of Allah telling us, well, you know, you need to work on this because you're still so attached to that thing. Yeah. And I don't want you to be attached to that thing or that person more than you are attached to me. I want you to detach from everything and everyone and be attached to me as in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Um, so the fact that you are so hung up on this issue and it's really causing you so much pain and trouble that you can't sleep at night and you're just kind of having this gnawing feeling on the inside, maybe it's about time that we kind of reconnect with Allah and tell him, Ya Rab, I know that this is so painful and I can't deal with it anymore, but I want to give it up to you, Allah, and I want you to take care of it and I want to surrender this to you. And we know that this is very difficult. Of course, it's very challenging and it's very excruciating. We are not parents. We can only imagine what you are going through. Mm -hmm. But we know that Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And when you actually surrender that to Allah, Allah will give you uh, more in return and more than you could, would have ever imagined. Um, so what I'm trying to say is look at this challenge in a way that what is Allah trying to teach me through it? And have I achieved true surrender to him uh, or not? Mm-hmm. Anyway, subhanAllah, I just remembered this even though I didn't write it, so I really hope it resonates with people. Um, yeah. Another question is, my child or sibling or, you know, my relative wants to have a same-sex wedding and I'm invited. What should I do? This is very tricky, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a black or white issue, right? There are multiple shades of gray and it's a difficult issue, of course, and different people can behave differently. And if you have been following this season, um, you have probably listened to episode number 72 with Sheikh Mustafa Omar, and we have spoken about this issue in detail. If you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back to that episode. Sheikh Mustafa and I talk about this in detail. But the gist of it is that if your attendance is viewed as condoning the act, meaning same sex sexual relations and behaviors and all of that and you're condoning the union and you're condoning homosexuality then you should not be there but if your presence is not condoning that then it's fine for you to be there mm -hmm. and again for more details and nuance we encourage you to check that episode out um, which is number 72 but the most important thing in addition to that is for you to communicate with your child and to explain to them your position and then to understand what the context is about and who is going to be attending the ceremony. Yeah. Communication can be like something like, son, you know, you know that based on our values, we do not approve of this lifestyle. However, we love you and we accept you as you are today. We're going to attend your ceremony, but it doesn't mean that we approve of the lifestyle. Please know that this is very difficult for us, but we love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we have envisioned for your life, but we love you no matter how difficult it is for us. And we will stand with you and for you. And we hope you realize that. That is in the case of if you choose to attend, but if you choose not to participate in the ceremony, then lovingly share your truth with your child and let them let them know that it is about you and your values and your beliefs, that this is where you draw the line. And you may say something like, we cannot attend your ceremony as much as we love you both. It is simply too difficult for us to endorse this. We believe in you. However, we do not believe that two people of the same gender are meant to live as a married couple. This is not what Allah wants, and we hope that you will understand, or something like that. 
you know, mm -hmm. you will need to work through your thoughts and feelings individually as a couple and perhaps with other supportive family members and friends and support uh, group members and consult about this, pray istikhara, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his guidance and take time to make up your mind. Do not make a quick emotional decision or behavior that will affect your child's life. And look at this issue from many angles. It's not black or white, right? And remember that your love is the one that lasts And as Richard Cohen always says, the one who loves the most and the longest wins. Another question is, should I completely discourage cross-gender behaviors and interests, especially for young kids? This is something we've discussed before in terms of encouraging gender-affirming clothes, uh, toys, and peers, uh, and so on. And this is about... it's a. In this question, it's about being smart and gradual about it, encouraging and affirming, um, being loving and kind and making sure that you're conveying the message that you're not rejecting the boy or the girl, but rather the behaviors or the clothes, uh, for example. So, you know, you could say things like, well, we love you and you're an amazing boy or girl, but boys don't wear this or girls don't wear this or do that. Uh, how about we try this instead with a smile and a hug? While discouraging unwanted cross-gender behavior, parents must be sure that the child feels affirmed as a unique individual. But this also means your child is not expected to become a stylized boy or girl with nothing but gender stereotypical interests. There can be a fair amount of gender crossover, but at the same time, healthy androgyny must first be built upon a solid foundation of security in one's original gender. A lot of parents are like, well, what's wrong with a boy playing with dolls? There's nothing wrong with it if the boy has a solid foundation of his boyness and isn't gender confused. If he's gender confused, such activities only reinforce that. So that's what's important to keep in mind. Also, it's important to realize that Islam isn't rigid about gender roles and gender stereotypes insofar as particular red lines are not crossed, like cross-gender dress and behavior. Everything else, interests, hobbies are valid as long as they're permissible. And also check out episodes 73 and 77 of this season uh, where we've uh, discussed and talked about this in more detail. Exactly. We talked about gender, gender nonconformity, gender roles and all of that. So these are discussed in detail in episode 73 and 77 as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another question, which is very common nowadays, unfortunately, especially in the West, you know, how do we deal with school systems that are pushing the gay or trans agenda on our kids? You know, are there any Muslim resources and so on? It's very important for you to educate yourself on these topics, to mobilize with other parents, see what you can practically do within your own locality, what is legal for you to do. I mean, nowadays with everything that's changing considerably very quickly. Um, maybe if it's too much and you can't do anything about it, maybe consider homeschooling if that is an alternative that you can do. Maybe shift to Islamic schooling if that is also a possibility. Um, of course, these are different challenges, but inshallah, we have a full episode dedicated to that coming up. It's episode number 86, and we will talk about this more uh, within the um, overall theme of schools and educational systems, inshallah. Another question that we get asked is, um, my son or daughter came out as gender non-binary or non-conforming or they're trans. They want me to use their preferred pronouns or they're considering transitioning, whether socially or medically. What should I do about this? This is quite difficult, subhanAllah. Uh, but we have spoken about this in 
details. So please check out episode 73 all the way to episode 78. We talked about gender, gender nonconformity, gender atypical individuals, intersex, gender dysphoria, and transgenderism from medical and legal perspectives, as well as Shari perspectives and contemporary challenges when it comes to the trans movement and how to deal with all of that in our families and communities. So please educate yourself on these topics and check out the resources and the references that we've added in the episodes as well. So inshallah, they will provide you with, um, you know, the the necessary knowledge, inshallah, to deal with that. Another question is, my child is exposed to a lot of progressive shubuhat. He or she is bringing home a lot of these questions, you know, like a lot of the revisionist arguments related to Prophet Lut and his people, you know, the story is being told differently to them, or that Islam is a homophobic religion that kills homosexuals and all of that. I don't know how to deal with that. How should I answer them? How do I handle that? Um, all of these are discussed in detail in episode 69 and 70 with Brother Mubin Vaid. We spoke in detail about a lot of these revisionist arguments. And in episode 71 and 72, with, we spoke with Sheikh Mustafa Omar on a lot of the shari'i and legal, legal perspective surrounding that. So please make sure to check them out. And a wonderful article that's been written as well is Brother Mubin's article, Quranic Revisionism and the Case of Scott Kugel. Um, this is a very important piece to be read. And Brother Mubin also speaks about it in uh, the episodes on revisionist arguments as well. Another question is, with many of the interventions implemented consistently and appropriately, what do we expect along the healing process? And that's a really good question. Many parents wonder and ask what their child is going through as they walk through the healing process. Of course, this is a natural concern. There are certain phases your child may experience as they reprocess developmental stages of childhood or as they are in therapy. There's no strict order in which these phases take place, but the idea is that the sense that they're different from and somehow inferior to other boys uh, and vice versa for girls begins to diminish and they become more comfortable with who they are. So um, there's a couple of things that, well, there's quite a few things that might happen and we'll go through them. So the first, they might set new boundaries with you where they once shared a large part of their thoughts and feelings, they might begin to separate and individuate, as we've discussed before, as part of their early developmental years. There's nothing wrong with this, and it's actually a crucial part of the healing process. They're learning to find their own voice, feelings and perspectives apart from you as the parent. So give them uh, space and allow them to work through this. They might also establish new rules for relating to you. Your child might seek to create a new space within which to be in a relationship with you, one that's safer than they've previously experienced or perceived, where there's respect and acceptance. They need to feel like they won't be punished or shamed for expressing their needs. Um, they will also uh, seek acceptance as your child. They'll want to be fully accepted as they are without any condition. They need to know that there's no need for them to change and that you will love them and accept them no matter what happens. Unconditional love, in other words. They need you to listen and respect their choices. They might make choices that you don't agree with, but you need to allow them the space to learn from experience. The more they do this, the more personal power they will gain and the more self-assurance and well-rested within themselves that they will become. So ultimately, this is, a, this is positive and good for them. Mm -hmm. They might also ask you to engage in their healing process. There might come a point when your child wants you to be involved in their healing process in order to resolve issues from the past. 
this is a very good sign as it shows that they trust you enough to engage you. This may also work the other way where you might engage your child in your own healing process in order to resolve past issues. And this, both of these are are perfectly acceptable and um, Mm -hmm. uh, good if if they do come about. Also, they might share deeper hearts and pains that you knew nothing about. This, we must mention, might come with a lot of blame. You'll need to employ a lot of the listening skills that we discussed in earlier episodes. Um, listening well and loving hard, seeking forgiveness and sharing their grief with them. And the more that they grieve, the faster that they'll that they'll go through this. They will develop healthy relationships with same-sex parent and peers. So this is another indication that there's change taking place, that there's growth happening. Um, you know, as your child heals, they'll develop stronger bonds with same-sex parent and same-sex peers and strengthen their own gender identity as a result. Um, they will be more open to making friends of the same sex and have, having healthy bonds. You might also uh, notice a decreased uh, effeminacy for boys in particular. So parents might observe a diminishing of the behaviours that first caused a concern. So again, a lot of things we've talked touched on in this episode as well as previous episodes. And we should see, or you might see less indulgence in, in, in girlish activities and mannerisms. In contrast, obviously, boyish girls would become more accepting of their own feminine traits. And so, you know, you might hear them say things like, I'm I'm happy to be a boy or I'm happy to be a girl. They uh, will express or show even through their actions, you know, being more comfortable in their bodies. They might become more confident. Mm -hmm. Uh, They will be uh, more content in their gender identity and having a sense of satisfaction in being you know, one of the the guys or girls, one of the boys or girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they might uh, show signs of increased self-esteem, overall uh, positive feelings about themselves, about their body, about their personality, just about life in general, and about being able to, you know, tackle the the tasks, challenges of daily life. They'll become more secure in who they are as people, and become more mature and less shy and self-conscious and less self-preoccupied, more real and more emotionally connected and appropriately responsive to other people. And uh, finally, they will uh, also, they might show signs of being less anxious or depressed. So they might be less nervous uh, and uh, unease about themselves and also other people. There might be less behavioral problems like temper tantrums and emotional outbursts and also less withdrawn behavior and more engagement uh, with the wider family and with friends and, and so on. Absolutely. And of course, it's, it's, it's very important to mention that this is not a linear process. It's very twisted. It has many ups and downs. Mm. Uh, there will be resistance, temper tantrums, rejection and rebellion, especially at the beginning. Some days are going to be better than others. Some days there will be lots of strides and successes only to realize that a couple of days later, maybe the child or the adolescent has, uh, the adolescent has regressed. Expect them to go, you know, two steps forward and one step backward. Yeah. Um, and know that when they're feeling happy and affirmed by others, they're doing great. And when they're stressed and pressured, maybe fatigued or sick or what have you, they're likely to witness regression. So all of this is normal. And as Joseph Nicolosi used to tell parents, and I'm quoting him, know that this is going to be a long haul and it may possibly get more painful before it gets better. End quote. 
So, and this basically applies to life in general, right? Yeah. So what matters is that you seek help from Allah. You work together as a parental team. You seek support from your support system and from a therapist or a counselor. And be patient, consistent, and perseverant. Build healthy and strong bonds with your child. Build the proper emotional attachment and have tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, we're asked to do our parts and the rest is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have officially come to the end of the four-episode series dedicated to parents and family members. We hope that you have found these four episodes eye-opening, enlightening, practical, and useful to you in your individual case. Of course, cases are different. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. but there are general ideas and foundations to consider that are helpful for all of us. So we talked about personal healing, which is the foundation to all of this work, you know, taking care of yourself, grieving, stopping the blame and self-accusation, stepping into your child's world, learning about his or her struggles and pains, understanding their stories, practicing unconditional love. And we spoke about this in detail back in episode 79, as you remember. Um, seeking forgiveness from yourself and others, doing your own healing work together with your spouse, if possible, experiencing God's love and trying your best to maintain balance in your life. All of these are important. And then we spoke about relational healing in episodes 80 and 81. We started with understanding the foundations and concepts related to gender development, how gender confusion develops, family dynamics, parental wounds, sibling wounds, peer wounds, abuse, God wounds, all of that in relation to the development of same-sex attractions and gender dysphoria. And then we went into practical uh, tips for fathers and mothers and siblings and family members, whether you are dealing with a young boy or a young girl with gender confusion and nonconformity or with an adolescent who experiences same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria or a young adult who is struggling with this or he's coming, he or she is coming out and so on. And then in today's episode, we covered communal healing and how to use all of this knowledge to help others and build support systems and resources in our communities. And we answered frequently asked questions on these topics presented. What we hope that you realize after all of these episodes is the importance of education and awareness to you as parents and knowing these matters to be able to deal with them, but also at a communal level. And we also cannot stress this enough. We seek help from Allah continuously. We ask him to help and guide us, to give us patience and strength, and to always remember that we have to do the work, but the fruit of our labor is on him. We may live to see that in our lives, or we may not, and that's not what's important. We give our best, and the rest is up to him. What matters is that we develop patience, strength, resilience, humility, tawakkul, and we embrace challenges with an open heart, because when Allah loves someone, he tries them with what they can handle. So the fact that you are dealing with this means that Allah knows that you can handle it, inshallah. Mm. And yeah, so basically this wraps up uh, our series for parents and family members. And this is the last episode that Adam is going to be joining me uh, throughout this podcast. Uh, we're wrapping up the podcast in a few more episodes, inshallah. Um, Adam, I would like to sincerely thank you and say jazakallah khairan um, for all of your help um, since day one. Um, again, this whole idea of the podcast came from you, jazakallah khairan. And you've been such a wonderful guest um, and co-host. Jazakallah khairan. You're such a gem. And I'm so proud oh, wow. of you. And I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and brother. I love you, man. You're amazing. Um, any last words that you would like to give the listeners? Oh, I love you too. And it's been 
quite a journey, subhanAllah, over the last two years or so. I would just say for the listeners that, uh, you know, um, never lose hope no matter what the situation is. And this is for obviously parents who might be listening to this or even people who are just, you know, who are experiencing gender dysphoria or SSA who are listening to this episode. Mm -hmm. And that uh, is a challenging journey, but we just have to be uh, persistent and consistent in our efforts and always just be clear about why we're striving. The, you know what? Islam, Islam makes it very easy because it's all about Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. He's the north star. Mm-hmm. He's the 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 compass. Like this is the that's what we're all. It is to him that we will be returning. It's from him that we have come. So, you know, Subhanallah, it, he makes it very easy for us. There's not really much more to think about. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just uh, pray that Allah gives us the courage and. Uh, the, the 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 language and um, the ability to actually share this with other people to stand up for this as well because so much of the modern world is attacking uh, this perspective of these issues and um, we need our own spaces where we can deal with these things Indeed. and I would hate to think that we were doing it underground or that we would that we would get to a point where it's worse than what it is at the moment mm-hmm. um i i don't want to see that I, and i don't think that we should settle for that either inshallah and that's going to require effort on part of everybody right in the community it's not just for the people who are experiencing ssa or who are affected by it it's for everyone to stand up so may allah give us a true understanding of his religion mm-hmm. firm foundations upon what, what do we actually believe in and stand for mm-hmm. Uh, and also the courage to stand up for ourselves and to be as loud as some of these other groups who have demanded their rights over years and years and years and years, which we quite, some we've not really done, particularly in the West. I can't talk, obviously, for, you know, the Muslim world is a different uh, context, uh, but the, in particular, the you know, the Western world, the U- Europe and the US. So, right. yeah, but may Allah bless you all. Thank you. I've loved being on this. Alhamdulillah, it's been um it's been great and I've learned so much through the process as well and I'll miss coming uh, on these episodes I miss you too (laughs) (laughs) subhanAllah Allah bless you and I echo everything that you said Jazakallah khairan Um, yeah and um, it's it's been a pleasure having you and this has been subhanAllah such a wonderful journey may Allah bless you and yeah, for everyone who has been listening to us, you can always email uh, Adam and me on awaybeyondtherainbow at gmail.com. We'd love to read your emails, yeah. answer your questions. Uh, if you'd just like to say salam alaikum, or if you have any questions, or if you'd like to tell us about your own experiences, we're always there, inshallah. And this is a wrap-up to our series for parents and family members. Um, and in the next episode, inshallah, we are going to talk about um, relevant themes to spouses of men and women who experience same-sex attractions or gender dysphoria. Until next episode, stay safe and healthy. This has been Adam and Wahid Jensen in A Way Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.